0: I, that whew, excuse me, I forgot that it's all wood floors now, and I wear leather-bottom shoes of all things today. That means I can't walk around very much. But my goodness, y'all look old. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, it's been some years. And, um, but thank you for allowing Debbie and I to come back and be here today. This has been a joy. We've looked forward to this. And I really, really have. And um, I come down here quite often to do something called deer hunting. Uh, and I travel to, to Sardis down there and, and hunt and have a good time and, and keep up with various people here. And uh, last week I drove through here after the storm hit. And um, I really couldn't believe it. Um, our prayers are with you guys. People even up north, where Debbie and I spend uh, a lot of our time up in New England, are praying for you because they know of our connection. I wasn't going to do this at all, but uh, I hadn't changed much. I did this when I was here, and I'll do it again while I'm here today and, uh, and all. But, um, but just praying for you very much. But I have a word from the Lord uh, for you today. I know I, I do. If you haven't seen Debbie yet, she's the best-looking one. She's right down here, and and she hasn't changed much at all. She just become more beautiful, I think, and as the years have passed by. But um, I'd kind of give you an update a little bit. Our, our kids are—they don't live far from us. And really, it's not about our kids; it's about our grandkids. And uh, our grandkids don't live far from us. I told uh, Wesley and Melody, I said, "You know, you're really not that important to me any longer." Um, your job in life isn't, um, isn't to take care of us, but your job in life is to make sure that we get to see the grandkids. That's the only job you have. And other than that, you're not much to me. So I want to see my grandkids. And so we get to see them a lot, and that's just a joy. But uh, Debbie and I, briefly, are um, we retired from the pastorate area um, ministry, about what, four years ago, yeah, something like that. And uh, the Lord told us, we had to go all the way to Kansas City, Missouri for the Lord to tell us this. And we were sitting at a, a sheep pen and uh, early one morning, and the Lord told me after reading Psalm 23, 24, and 25, the Lord told me, he said, uh, you're going to uh, retire from the pastorate. And I said, well, that's good. And uh, then the, the, I told the Lord, I said, but Lord, uh, who's going to tell my wife? You know, because we're leaving um, pretty settled area, you know, been there 15 years, and uh, and he said, no worry, I'll tell her, and so I went back up to the house, and um, and she asked me how my quiet time was, and I said it was real good, and she said, the Lord speaking, and I said, oh, the Lord spoke well, and, and she said, well, what did he tell you, and I said, well, he'll tell you, well, she went and had her time with the Lord, and Debbie journals everything when she hears the Lord speak, and She was journaling and all, and after a while, she came out of her quiet time with the Father. And and I said, well, how was your time with the Lord? She said, oh, he was good. He was good. And I said, well, did the Lord speak? And she said, oh, yeah, he spoke well. I said, well, what did he tell you? And she said this. She said the same thing that he told you. We're leaving, retiring from the pastorate. And I said, okay. We did not know what we were going to be doing. We had some ideas. Of what God was going to take us to, and but uh, the Lord didn't move into that direction and moved us into this ministry called Assignment International Ministries. It's based upon the idea of assignment that she has used. She and I have used that term so much and uh, about we're on assignment, God points you to places and um and so we were appointed down to doth, and as we were here by the Father, and the Lord pointed us down there. And now he was doing something else to, to take us into a different assignment, and that assignment was going to be a lot, lot different. And so now our assignment or our ministry is called Assignment International Ministries. It's a, it's a ministry where we basically uh, deal with pastors and wives all over, all over the country now and moving out into some foreign countries and teaching them how to stay with the assignment God has given them, how not to quit how to stay with it in the spirit life, and how to walk with the Lord in the midst of hard times. Uh, Because many of them want to quit, and many of them do. And he has appointed us a lot of our time, four months out of the year especially, to live in New England, which is not bad during the fall. You know, I can't believe God puts us up there in the fall to live. And uh, we live there, and we're able to be a part of a college, Northeastern Baptist College. It's a small school with about 50 students. It's tuition-free. They work for their tuition. It's very expensive if they do not work for their tuition. Um, but it's, a, it's the only Baptist college, only religious school, evangelical school in the Northeast. And uh, and so we're very rare, and no one wants us there. And, but we're training young men and women how to walk with the Lord in the areas they walk into business rounds, counseling ramps, whatever it may be just how to walk with the Lord and stay with the Lord. And so we get to invest in all of those students invest in the college and invest in new England with pastors all over new England and mentoring and teaching and sharing with all those people there and all over the rest part of the the, the nation, over, over in Washington, Oregon, now in Wales and we're connected in Honduras and in South Brazil. We travel a lot, it seems. We go a lot. And, um, Many of you are, are part of the prayer times and, and everything with us and all, and I appreciate that. But pray for the Northeast that we win, win them to the Lord. Only 2% evangelical in the Northeast, 2%. There are more Christians on the street of Beijing than there are in New England. And that's our country. They don't even know who Jesus is. They don't even know who the, what the name of Jesus represents. So you have to teach them that there is a God took one guy 10 years, I've been dealing with him 10 years, and he has come to the conclusion that there is a creator. 10 years to come to that point. And now we hope and pray that he'll come to know Christ. And, uh, but that's in our country, and that's what we do, is share the gospel with those up there and help equip other people to share the gospel of the Lord. But you can pull up the story of Simon International Ministries on our website and read all about all of that stuff. But that's not why I'm here. Over in Psalm 73, turn there with me this morning. Psalm 73, it's just an incredible Psalm. It's one of my, my go-to Psalms for my own personal life. It's where I turn to often. I, I love to read the Psalms anyway, I, I, I do. The Psalms 23, 24, and 25 is what got us into what we're doing now. And uh, Psalm chapter one talks about the, the how to walk with the Lord and be that kind of person that just grows in the Lord. And Psalm seventy three gives us some incredible insights. Now, as you're turning to Psalms to Psalm seventy three, let me kind of give you kind of give you an idea about what the Psalms are. If you remember the song years ago, David Gates wrote it. Uh, remember. Uh, He was a part of, who who was it, Bread? Remember that? Some of us older guys, gals, you know, Bread, David Gaze, he would play that guitar. And he wrote a song uh, about the diary. I found your diary underneath the tree, and I started reading about who? About me. Started reading about my own life. Well, when you read the book of Psalms, that's what you're doing. You're reading someone's diary. You're reading about their journey what they encountered in life, their hurts, their joys, everything in their life. And so this man here who is writing this psalm, some say that it, that, that it was probably of David or some, one of his cohorts, but it doesn't matter who wrote the song. It was a person that had gone through some things, and now he's writing down what he has just lived through. He's writing down what he has just lived through. And so we see in here the the personal record of this man who is just searching for something in his life. He was searching for some victory, dealing with some tragedy, dealing with some heartache. And he said, I've got to find out how to deal with life. But he makes a great discovery. If you look there in verse 1 of chapter 73, he says this in the very beginning of the psalm as he's sitting at his table writing, he's thinking, looking out into the horizon and he says this, truly God is good to Israel. Or you can write it, God is good to me. God is good to me. Do you believe that? Let me ask you this morning, do you believe God's good to you? You know, sometimes it takes going through things to begin to realize how good God is. And often in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your tragedy, in the midst of your situation, you begin to find the very goodness of God if you start looking for it. If you look outside of yourself and begin to see Him, you begin to see the very goodness of God, and you can begin to cry out as the psalmist is crying out, God, you're you're just so good to me. Then you begin to get excited about how good God is. I was reading Psalm 145 uh, some time back, and I, it just, I, was in, well, I was in New England. And one morning I was reading Psalm 145, and I got so excited because it says, I extol thee, O Lord my God. That word extol means that I'm excited about you, O Lord my God. I am so overjoyed about you, O Lord my God. And the same thing the psalmist is saying here, Father, I, I, you are truly good to me, and I'm excited about how good you are to me. Regardless of what is happening in my life, you are so good to me. To me, and so he's writing about that wonderful discovery that he has made. It's like a uh, like it's like a like a man who is walking into a cave filled with gold, and he walks into this wonderful place, and he begins to see the very goodness of God. He knew that God was good, but now he's really seeing how good God is. And there's one thing in knowing, you know, and saying, "Well, God is good." You know, we sing that or or we may sing that in a song, or we may say that in a prayer, but yet it's another thing saying, yes, he is, because I've seen it. I have seen his goodness. Now let's look at the rest of the text, because he says, now he makes a statement, God is so good, (laughs) but he says, basically this. He says, you know, I didn't think that one time in my life, though. I didn't think God was good. At one time in my life. And so now he's writing about how he came to the point of understanding how good God was. And how good God is. And so look what he says. He says this. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked For there are no pains in the death, but their strength is firm. But they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, this people return here in waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in this most high? Behold, there are the, there are the ungodly who are always at ease. They're, they increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. And all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Uh, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I have... I would have been untrue to the generation of the children when I thought how to understand this. It was too painful for me, and I'll pick up the rest of it in a moment. But here's the psalmist is saying this. He is saying, you know, there's. He said there was a time in my life when my faith was beginning to slip. My feet began to stumble. I was walking down a path, and I was sliding to this way, and I was sliding to the other side. I was trying to go up a hill, and every time I put my foot on a, on a rock that I thought would hold me, my, my feet would give way, and I would begin to slip down. He said, I, my faith was slipping. The things that I used to believe in God, I'm beginning to doubt just a little bit. Yeah, I used to really think God was powerful and could do all things, and he was so good and so wonderful, but my eyes became a little dim to all the things that God was because my circumstances were a little different. He said, my faith began to slip. Have you ever had slipping faith? You've probably had a little bit of it the past couple of weeks or so. The slipping of your faith... Whenever, you're, whenever things aren't even ground any longer, it's whenever the ground begins to kind of give way and your feet aren't stable and you begin to just slip. Well, how can you tell if you're slipping? Well, you begin to see, are you beginning to doubt God? Are you beginning to become less, less concerned about the things of God? Are you involved in the Word of God? and You begin to slip in those things. You know, church, well, I can take it or leave it. It's not really that important. What is important? I've got to pick my boots up. I've got to strap it on tight, and I've got to go do it myself. And I'm going to make myself happen. Well, all that is is a slipping of the faith. Well, what causes it? You know, everyone has a slipping of faith. I don't care who you are. There's that time when you begin to get to a point of saying, can I make it? Am I going to get through this? Is the things that I have believed in, are they really so? And really can I hold on to this because the things I've been holding on aren't really holding me up any longer. Can I really get through all of this? Why do you lose it? Why do you begin to slip in your faith? Here's the thing. This is why you begin to lose. You begin to lose your focus. You begin to lose the focus of your life. Remember Peter, when Peter was there and saw Jesus walking on the water, and he came to the edge of the boat, and he saw Jesus, and he said, Listen, Lord, if that's you, how about letting me just come on out there to see you? You know, I've always wanted to walk on water, so this would be a good time, Jesus. And so, he said, so Jesus said, Hey, come on, babe, let's go. You know, Peter was always up and down all the time. You know, he was slipping of faith constantly. He was up and down. And this is a moment he had a lot of faith. And he said, let's go do it. I believe that I can walk to you if you just tell me. Jesus said, come on and start walking. And he got out and he was doing pretty good. He was surfing well in those days, barefooting by the way. And he was, just, he was just going and all of a sudden the storms of life Around him, the storms, the waves got bigger and bigger and bigger. And he began to look at all the waves around him. And he began to do what? He began to sink. And man, his head was about to go under. And his eyes, all he could see was the water. And he said, I am gone. And all of a sudden, there was a hand that came down and pulled him up. And they got back on the boat and they ended up on the shore what happened to Peter? Well, he was caught up with the storms of life. He lost all the focus. You know, there's, there's the storms that Peter go, had gone through, the storms that are out there, that are there. You've seen those storms, you know, through the weather and through other things that you've had to deal with, even as a church. You've seen those storms of life on the outside. But you know where the greatest storm is? It's not what you see on the outside. It's not the clouds that are coming from the west. Those aren't the major storms. The major storm that you and I have to deal with is a storm that brews inside of us. That's the major storm. That is the major storm. The unsettling of our own heart. The unsettling of our own thoughts, the unsettling of our own spirit, where we're wondering if I'm going to ever make it, and their insecurity begins to set into the heart, and you begin to say, I don't know if I can keep my head above the water any longer. You see, those problems begin to come into the life, and you begin to lose focus because you begin to look not only at you, then you begin to look at everything around you, and it looks different. That's what happened to the psalmist. The psalmist, if you read on down in verse three and following, he says this. Let me just put it in modern day modern day language if I can. The psalmist says this in verse three and following. He said it just like this. He said, You know, here I am a Christian. I have been walking with God all of these years. I have been I have been reading my Bible. I have been going to church. I have been going to worship. I have been giving. I have been doing all of these things. And all of a sudden it dawns on me that I have problems. I have troubles. I have sickness. I I can't get anything straight. I'm kind of confused about how life is fitting because things aren't fitting my life very well. Everything is becoming rocky in front of me. And I don't have any more answers to the questions that, are, that I am asking in my heart. I'm trying to find some answers, and I still can't find the answers. And all I'm doing is beginning to slip. And then inside, he is literally turning inside, dealing with this storm that is here, and then he deals, then he starts doing what we often do. When there are storms happening in here, we start looking out there. We begin to look around and say, okay, this is what's happening in my life what's happening with everybody else's life and he looks around and he sees people having a great time in life they're smiling, they're laughing they don't don't have any problems in the world and jealousy begins to creep into his heart resentment begins to creep more into his heart, bitterness begins to swell even greater and greater and greater and greater and he says this he says you know what I look around and I see all of those ungodly people out there they're not walking with God like I have been walking with God and I'll tell you what this is not fair and so God I just want to tell you I'm mad at you I'm mad at the world and I'm even mad at myself for believing all this stuff you ever been there you have you have. I mean people I meet people all the time they're just so mad with God because things aren't working out like they think they ought to work out how about you Man, this guy, he's looking around at everything there. And then down in verse 13, he just gets a little bit deeper. And he begins to say, you know what? My goodness, my goodness that I have is useless. Me keeping my heart pure. Ah, (laughs) yes. Why? Virtue or everybody says that is nothing but garbage. Garbage. Why can't I just live like I want to live and do what I want to do and just get back? Yeah, I can go to church because that's the cultural thing to do. Surely I can come to worship because that's the right thing to do. And I've got to keep my image up so I'll do all these things. But in my heart, I am so far from God. I have drifted so far from God. I have slipped so far from God. And you know what? That's okay because it hasn't done anything for me. Not one thing for me. All of this stuff, not one thing for me. Now, this is a personal record of a person, of his walk. This is what he was saying. But he doesn't end it there. You know, He doesn't end it there because we're reading about what he has walked through and how he has walked through it. This personal record of this man here is a, the record of a man whose feet had stumbled, but he got back up on his feet, corrected his vision once again, and is beginning to walk where he could honestly say to anyone, God is good to me. Regardless of my situation. Regardless of my trouble. God is still good to me. How did he get there? How did he get there? How do you get there? Where well, you can honestly say that. And honestly say that because in in your heart there's a peace. In your heart there's restored joy. In your heart there's there's a little bit of, of fulfillment in you. Even though you don't understand everything in life. But you do understand about life and who controls the life. Well how do you? Keep your feet from slipping, and how to have that restored faith. Let me give you, you know, I'm always going to give you three things. And so let me go ahead and give you three quick things. If you listen real quick, I'll give them to you real quick, okay? If you don't listen quick, I'm going to be here all day. All day. But let me give you three quick things. Because you're in this. If you're not in this, you will be in this. How to keep yourself from slipping down where you become to the place where you're just kind of going through the motions. How to keep from that. Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to admit your condition. You have to admit your condition. We have the idea sometimes that we're not to never doubt or entertain uncertainty of life. You know, but there are questions. And there are doubts in our heart. We try to ignore them, but they're there. We try to put them under the, under a carpet or a rug someplace, but no, no, they're still there. They're under something, but they're still there. The best thing to do is just to take it out and deal with it. Well, if I, if I deal with it and admit it, then, then what about my image? Because everyone thinks that I've got it all together, and I'm, I'm Mr. Super Christian or Miss Super Christian, and I'm supposed to have it all together. I teach Sunday school, or, or I'm a deacon, or I'm a leader in a church, or I, I'm a leader in the community, and they think that I'm to have it all together. Let me tell you something. Sometimes you don't have it all together. Amen? Man, I spent a year and a half in clinical depression. And I was pastoring a large church, and everybody thought, "Wow, this is wonderful." And I was literally falling apart inside. You've been there. If not, then you need to go find out if you need to tell the truth. Because this is on. This is where life is. Amen. This is where you are. You admit where you are. You admit it, saying, "This is where I am." Lord, this doesn't look fair. Lord, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this? Forget about the image. Forget about all of that. And the writer of the Psalms here is, boy, he is so honest. You know why I can tell he was an honest man? Because he wrote it down and we get to read it. He says, I have nothing to hide because trying to hide something will keep me in bondage. But the moment I begin to confess and become honest with it, then I am set free. And I remember the day, the night, whenever I admitted that I was in depression, and I I was reading in bed of a a friend of mine, a friend of ours who who had gone through depression. It was a book about his life. And he had gone through that and didn't want to admit it at all. And uh, and he said, the greatest thing i would ever done is whenever he admitted. And I yelled out to Debbie. I said, Debbie, I'm depressed. And she said, it was about time you noticed. At that moment, man's freedom began to come up. Why? You began to admit your condition. So where are you? What is your condition like? Get honest with it. Forget about the image. Forget about what what people are going to think or how they're going to view your life. Forget it forget it. I mean, I got so honest with it, I told the whole church and said, hey, church, I'm depressed. And you know why I'm depressed? A lot of it has to do with a lot of you. (laughs) And they said, really? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just got honest, had a great fellowship after that. You know, just, think, just forget about it. Here's the second thing you do with it. You begin to admit about that condition. What well, this is what's happening in my life, and then you begin to come to the point. You got to be careful about something though. Whenever you begin to admit your condition, you got to be careful who you share it with. Somebody, some everybody can't handle your honesty. You know that not everybody can handle total honesty. And in verse 15, he tells us that. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. He says, basically, Lord, if I had told them that, because they thought of one way of me, if I had gone and told them everything about what's happening in me, they really couldn't handle it. Because every week in their walk, and maybe they were failing and falling apart too, and you know, misery doesn't need company. But then all you do is have two miserable people, and then they begin to talk about how miserable they are, kind of like talking about our sicknesses. You know, we all, the older we get, all, well, that's what we talk about. We talk about our doctor's appointments. We talk about what we ate and that we're eating real good. You know how we talk. He says, I can't go and talk to everybody. There's somebody I can talk to. There's usually somebody there that you can go, a friend that you can go and become real with. But here's the third thing. The psalmist says, I can't go to everybody out there. I know i got a condition. I know I'm admitting my condition. I can't go to everybody in the world. And I can't go to the church and say, let me tell you. Now, I did it to mine because I felt a freedom to do that. But I can't stand before the church and tell them, say, you know what? I'm up to here with everything, and I don't like any of you, and all of you have made me mad. You can't do that unless the Lord tells you. But you can do this because the Lord allows this. Here's the third thing. You go to Him. You go to Him. That's where it tells us the latter part of that verse, of that chapter. In verse 17, He says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end surely you set them in slippery places and you cast them down to destruction and he begins to see it in there in verse 21 he says thus my heart was grieved and i was vexed in my mind and i was so foolish and ignorant i was like a beast before you nevertheless i'm continually with you you hold me by my right hand you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me into your glory you know what he's saying he's saying listen he said you know what he said, I tried everything in the world, everything in the world to understand everything. I pondered everything in my heart, and I was, didn't know where to go, and I decided that I would go to church. That's where he went to the sanctuary, the place of worship. He said, let me just go to that church. Now, you can go to church and not have a changed life, but if God shows up, he'll turn your life around. He showed up and he met God. That's who he needed to meet in the first place. He just said, I I went and I met God. God had it all figured out. Isaiah did that with Isaiah chapter 6, did he not? He said, the year my my cousin died, Uzziah died, he said, I went to church. Because why? That's where you normally go whenever you don't feel good. I got to get up and go to church just to go to church. Going to church makes me feel better. No, going to church doesn't make you feel better. Meeting God sets you free. Coming to church and not feeling good, listen, I mean, that's good to have a little fellowship, but you're going to go home and here you are in the same condition. He said, I went and there I met the Lord. I went into the sanctuary, not just the sanctuary, I went into the sanctuary of God. I came into the very presence of God. Wow. Into the presence of God. The one I was doubting, I'm in his presence. Now notice how he came in. Into his presence. That's in the latter part of those verses that we read. They're in verse 21 and following. He says, I came in there. He said, I came before you, O God. I didn't come, as the psalmist says, to come and come into, his, into the gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. He said, I wasn't happy. I, I didn't bring my tambourine. I wasn't shouting hallelujah. I was more cussing than I was shouting hallelujah. He said, well, That sounds bad. Well, that's what he's saying. He said, I came before you, God, as a mad beast. I was so mad at you, the world, at myself. I was just torn apart. He said he came there as, as with gnashing of the teeth like a wild beast before a holy God. And he said, God, all you did as I came before you like that, all you did is that you reached out your hand and you held me. And you let me get it all out. Isn't that neat to know? That you can just go before God. And you don't have to clean up to get before him. You come just as you are. Like a child comes to the Father. And let God just grab you. With the tenderness of his mighty hand. He says, you held my hand. And you gave me direction. You held my hand and gave me some security. You held my hand and you let me know that everything is going to be okay. Was the storms around his life ended? I don't know. But I tell you what, the storm in his life had ended. He said in the scripture, he, he said, you know, everything was done. He said in verse 24, you will guide me with all of your counsel. And after war, receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon this earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's going to God. Just getting to him. And say, so, Lord, here it he is. The psalmist says, you know, I, I went and found out that books, other people, couldn't solve my problem. Only he could solve me. Only he could take care of where I was. And you're the one who reached down and just loved me and let me walk through it. You know, in imitation times, usually we have a, the pastors down and people say, I'm going to go down. I'm just going to go down and talk to the pastor about my problems. And, and that's good. I mean, that's okay. Come talk to the pastor about the problems and they'll pray and go back to the seat. The problem is they never... Finished the process. They never met the Lord. They met the pastor. They didn't meet the Lord. Cutting it in half. You only have half of it. When you need to go and just meet God. Be still and know that I'm God. Let me tell you. God hasn't changed. There's There's no limitations to the Holy God. And not only is God so big and no limitations, He is also so personal to meet you right where you are. To meet you and to, be, to take your honesty right where you are and to bring healing to your heart. The psalmist goes on to the last part. He says this, he said, but for me. He said, I draw near to God and I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all of your works He said, Lord, I found out that I went into the sanctuary of of God to get an answer, but I really found the answer because you are the answer to everything in my life. You, You are the answer. Every question I have, you're the answer. You're it. And I found out that I didn't go just into the sanctuary of God, a place. I found out that you were the sanctuary. I came into your presence. And all I could do was be still and know that you're God. All I could see was just you and you alone. Read Revelation 4. All you see is him. Be still and know that he's God. You see, whatever you're dealing with, making you slip a little bit, go to him. Go, Go to him. Meet him. Tell him. Spend time with Him. Let His joy become your joy. Let His peace become your peace. Does it change everything around you? No, no. But I tell you what, you'll see it differently. You begin to see things differently. You begin to get the whole picture, the big picture, instead of, of this little small thing. You see all of it. And there are often there are things that we carry all of our life that we never find releasing because we never get before God to tell Him I was preaching this message years ago in, um, in um, Tallahassee, Alabama. And I was preaching this the last night of a, of a series of meetings, and the Lord said, Preach this. And I preached it. And a, a lady came down and, man, just started weeping before the Lord at the end. And um, she came to me at the conclusion of our service, and she said, You know, she said, For all of the years of my life, my daughter died years and years back, and I, I was so bitter. And I was so hurt. I was hurt not only of that, I was hurt how people responded. I was hurt, and she just kept on going. Because once something happens in here, you start adding layers to it. And she said, I had talked to people, I have read about things, but I would never been to God. And just emptied my heart. because I had a lot of stuff in here. And she said, tonight I did it, and I should have done this 15 years ago. But tonight I have been set free, and I know that God is good to me. And I know that I need to draw near to God. Because he's going to do is he's not going to hit me upside the head and condemn me. He is going to love me right where I am. Alma. She did that that night. What about you this morning? What are you carrying inside of here? Are you, are you slipping in your faith today? Are, are you, are you kind of wondering, is this really worth it? Are, are, you, are you walking with the Lord, knowing the joy of the Lord? Are you still allowing things to just settle in here and still bitter or upset or confused? And there's no joy in you. Oh, let that end. Let, let, let that end today. Let that end today and let the joy of the Lord enter you. Let, let, let his peace be, be yours because it is. And you have a Father in heaven that's waiting on you. Will you let him? Will you meet him today? Will you, let's bow together and just do that. Let, let's just meet the Lord, whatever you are. You have to be honest. I, I can't make it happen for you. But I can tell you, he'll meet you where you are. And right where you are, meet him. Just tell him. He said, Well, it's hard to be honest right now. Well, ask the Lord Lord, I am willing to be made willing to be honest. Will you help me? Will you help me get there? Help me get there. He'll take you by the hand, and He will lead you to that place, loving you, not condemning you, but loving you. Let Him do it, right where you are, right where you are. And Father, we're right here before you, and I don't know any place else to go, Lord, except to you. You're you're good, you're God. You haven't changed, you never will. No storms that we may encounter in life, Lord, will ever change who you are. And Lord, looking from the big picture that, that our home is in is eternity with you, that's home, heaven is. And here, Lord, uh, you've placed us here, and sometimes it's quite disappointing. That's why we have to run to our Father's room and to our Father's lap and hold our Father's hand And to walk through it. We can't make it without it. Father, I'm I'm sure there's somebody in this room, Lord, and others that are just slipping in their faith. and Lord, I pray they'll run to your heart. Whether it be here now or later on, Lord, to draw near to you. Because it's good and right. And everything was provided, Father, by your Son that we're able to go before you. Your Son provided it all through the cross. And it's an open invitation to those here in Christ to come to you. And so Holy Spirit, I trust you to do what you do. Now Father, I pray that you'll pull hearts to yourself. And Lord, if there's someone here without Jesus that's never been born again, I pray, Lord, that they'll come to you. Because in you, Lord Jesus, is the door to the Father's room. May they come to you. And all you're going to do is love them. But may they come to you. And So, Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn. And how, how wonderful it is. It is, only trust Him. I believe that's what it is. Am I right? Yeah? Only trust Him. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. He's worthy to be trusted. Only trust Him now. So let's stand together. And Jeff, come lead us in that song. And if you need to receive Jesus in your life, please come. If you need to come to an altar and say, Lord, here I am. Do something with me. You obey the Lord right now and I'll be down waiting for you.